Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Better the Pond podcast, the Flying V edition, where we talk to incredible people who are creating ripples and impact on the pond. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and the founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is an odd duck, but that's what makes them awesome. Today, my guest is Alex Makarski, self-proclaimed data nerd, marketing genius and all-around great guy. Alex is the founder of Clickmakers and MeasureBit. Alex was born in the Ukraine, went to university in Moscow, and had various jobs before moving to Canada. His mother and father were both teachers, and as you will discover, Alex has become a lifelong learner. Now, Alex measures his company's success by how many clients he can kick out of the nest so they can go and fly on their own. He believes that most of the world's problems can be solved if we just sat down and communicated, just talked. Alice gets to better the pond by making other companies successful. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Makarski. All right, so Alex Makarski, all the way from right now at the moment in Mexico, which is fabulous, I really want to thank you for taking the time out uh, of your day to be a guest on my Better the Pond podcast. It is great to have you. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Horn. You're very welcome. So before we jump in, before we jump into this, Alex, and into the questions, um, you know, you can, right now we talked a little bit earlier about you got Clickmakers uh, as your company. Can you just sort of give you know my listeners just a sort of an overall view of, of what is it that your company does? Sure. Um, the short of it is we run ads, or quoting Mike, Mark Zuckerberg in, Senate, in the Senate, uh, Senator would run ads. That's what we do. Uh, we do it profitably. We became a Google premium partner a year ago, almost to the date, which puts us in the top 3% of all U.S. agencies for Google. Whichever yardstick they use for that, I'm not sure of the criteria, but they recognize our work in some way. Uh, we also... Like we essentially a bunch of engineers who run ads. We, and I have two companies. One's called clickmakers.io. The other one is measurebit.com. So clickmakers is the team that runs ads. Measurebit is a team that works on data. Con- commercial tracking, attribution, all this big data stuff that is becoming super important and difficult because of privacy and, and uh, platforms changing things. Uh, but that's... This is the two things what we focus on. We're very heavy on data, and very, we are very good at running digital ads because we are so strong when it comes to data. So this is why when I, when you know I look you up, Alex, you come as a certified data nerd. Um, I don't know if there's an official certification. That's <laughs> a self self anointed self anointed data nerd. Um, and I have to do this quick shout out um, that uh, it was Kevin Thompson, actually, who's got yeah. the Million Dollar Relationship podcast and, and his Tribe for Leaders. 
and uh, he's the one who actually set this up. So we'll give we'll give Kevin a little bit of a shout out while we uh, while we're we're chatting here. Well, if, if they, we have time at some point, there's there's an interesting story of me connecting with Kevin like a bunch of years ago, and then reconnecting, like losing this connection because of what one of my clients did to him. Ah, and then re reconnecting around the time I was starting this agency. Ah, perfect. Okay, well, you know what? We we definitely have to work that in somewhere in in the podcast up here. Awesome. So. Uh, let's jump right into this here, Alex. So, you know, here's my question. What got you from being a gosling? And I mean, talk about like your, your very, very beginnings, um, you know, to leaving the nest when you decided that you were going to take off and on your own and get out and into the world and your parents, either, either you left the nest or your parents kicked you out of the nest to where you are today. Alex Mikarski, what is your backstory? Um, I'll try to keep it relatively short, but there's not one, but several nests that I left along my path. And the very first one, I grew up in a place called Kursk in Russia, bordering on Ukraine, just outside of the city. So I grew up in the sticks. Uh, um, my parents still live there. My brother is still there in okay. his family. Uh, they okay? Me and, uh, they, they are okay. Uh, but they're very close to all the bad stuff that's going on there. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, they, they're fine. Um, kind of sucks that I can't go and see them there right now. Um, not entirely possible, but um, but it just creates difficulties uh, in so many ways. Mm. Um, but that's where I grew up. Left, left my parents' home when I was 16 to go study for to go to university in Moscow. Um, that's why I got my engineering degree. And that's when the Soviet Union collapsed and I was already married as a student. We had a child and my plan was to stay in the lab and do some scientific work, but that job didn't pay at the time, like when the country was collapsing around you. So I had to go and seek employment in the private sector. And after, you know, goes from miser one miserable job to another, I landed a gig at an up-and-coming company that was selling ERP systems, like accounting, business management systems, software systems, to all those big companies that were coming into Russia. And I started as a lowly coder, making this company's products more customizable and more uh, localized to the Russian market at the time to eventually, like in a few years as a, as a young Gosling, becoming a CTO of the company. And so well, our clients were McDonald's, Procter & Gamble, Colgate, Simmons. Like, these were the kinds, kinds of clients we've worked with. Uh, it was fun. It was, uh, it was a really interesting period. And I, I was a, I was still a young kid with just a, you know, fresh out of university with a diploma. But uh, within the five years, uh, five year period, that was um, uh, like I. It, it was uh, an interesting ride. This this um, company grew so fast, and you know, we just had to learn so much so quickly. That was a really interesting experience. In 1998, some people may remember there was a financial crisis. Russia defaulted on its debt, and uh, things uh, became really difficult economically. 
So I found a job in Toronto and I came uh, on a work permit first with my family and then stayed there. So I'm, I'm a Canadian taxpayer, have been since 1999, um, but currently exploring Mexico's potential base uh, for, for our next chapter. So there's always something that you leave behind. So the next nest that I left is my job in Toronto. So by 2004, so after the 9-11s and all the dot-com meltdowns and all this other stuff that affected uh, the software industry in a bad way, um, I was essentially, like we were a small consulting firm working with big companies. Um, and um, I was in charge of sales marketing because no one else wanted to do it. Like everyone else was, in, like they wanted to do the technical stuff. And I was probably the least technical person of them all, even though I was fairly technical. They were just way more excited about that. And I was more excited about the business side. So they kind of dropped all the marketing and sales stuff on my plate, um, just abandoned it and I picked it up essentially. And I came across Harvey Jacobson, the guy who wrote the Google AdWords book, uh, the uh, Podamis. Um, because we had a major national client in the restaurant space and Harvey had some special reports about marketing for restaurants. Uh, and then from Harvey, I jumped to Perry Marshall. He recommended Perry and Perry just started out his consulting gig and, you know, published his newsletter and, and sold some three ring binders like with a bunch of marketing, uh, knowledge that you could, you know, at the time there was, wasn't much of this. Uh, available and that was that was a, that was a a godsend in a, in many ways and only from there like usually people discover like old school marketers first and they go to the new school guys I jumped from Perry to Dan Kennedy and small businesses and Gary Halbert and all those other marketing guys and uh, at some point it just became frustrating my job because I was learning all this stuff but my teammates and my bosses they they didn't buy into these direct response marketing ideas. They didn't understand all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, screw it. Just quit my job and became what I call a self unemployed. Um, I spent more money on more courses. I wasn't ready for it at all. Joined groups like BNI, you know, got involved in some MLMs and did affiliate marketing, did link building, did, you know, a lot of things that a lot of people did at that time. Um, but it wasn't until I decided to embrace my technical background again and, and merge it with my marketing knowledge and experience. And I've had a lot of experience at that point, even though my bank balance didn't show it. Um, I did acquire a bunch of experience, um, and, uh, and, uh, when I decided to merge these two things, Things started to click in place for me. Um, so Kevin Thompson, I was uh, a marketing director for a company called Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. Uh, Rick Thompson, Lace Thompson. Uh, uh, they 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 were they they did a lot of work in the spirituality, um, law attraction space. Um, they had. People like Wayne Dyer and Dalai Lama on their website. Mm -hmm. It was 
was a really interesting gig. So when I finished working with them, I went on to continue setting up joint ventures between different people who had courses or they had audiences, email audiences that mostly at, at that time. So that's how I came across Kevin Thompson. He, I had a, a client who had a list and Kevin had a course. I think he was still selling as a teleseminar. Like everyone just switched away from teleseminars to webinars and Kevin was still running a teleseminar. And he was pulling more sales than anyone else in the industry, I think. He was still doing great as a teleseminar guy. And he was selling a course related to, you know, how to set up a web page and start buying clicks on Google and make a profit. Like a very simple, simple setup. <clears throat> so I basically uh, headhunted Kevin. Um, I cold called him essentially to bring him to my client to set up a joint venture where Kevin would promote my client's courses to his list and we would promote Kevin's teleseminar to our list. And things worked out great. Um, sales showed up, but my client decided not to pay Kevin his affiliate commission. Oh. Right. Which happens in the marketing world sometimes, or a lot, depending on how you look at it. So I had to fire my client because the client refused to pay Kevin. And for several years, I carried this. Uh, I, I thought Kevin hated me for bringing him to this deal until it bumped into him. I think it was 2018, the Rosetta Stone event that Perry Marshall ran in Chicago. I bumped into Kevin and told him my side of the story. And that's how we became friends. He didn't even remember me. He didn't remember the episode. He didn't remember the money he lost. I mean, when I reminded him, he did remember it eventually, but yeah. he didn't care about what happened as much as I did. Right. <laughs> okay, that's, um, well, actually, I'll go on with that. <clears throat> so, you know, from that, that's really fascinating how, you know, your perception, you hung on it for years because you felt bad. He completely forgot all about it. Um, and so, um, once you made that connection back again, did that really, um, sort of embed your relationship between the two of you? Because just from, from that one incident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of merging the technical knowledge and the marketing knowledge, the way, um, it happened and the, the way, the way it led me to starting this agency, there are two pivotal events that happened. One is me, uh, is the event of me co-founding a local business with a friend. We were having beers. Um, a friend is actually my brother-in-law, very close friend and relative. But I haven't beers. He, he's a bit younger. Uh, so his graduation was more recent than mine. So, and he goes, well, you know, when I was a student, he goes, I would make, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars in an afternoon by posting an ad on Kijiji or Craigslist um, about hanging at TVs on walls and helping people install a TV on the wall. And myself and my friend would go and put a couple of screws on the wall and hang TV and make a few hundred dollars. Like, do you think this can be a business? I go, well, I don't know, but I have a, 
a $300 voucher from Google. Let's find out. <laughs> so I built a little web page. I fed Google its own money. Uh, we got some clicks. We got some phone calls. We got some orders. We broke even on this $100 that, you know, wasn't even mine to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, we made profit the very first month. And uh, for several years, we ran this little business. And I was responsible for lead generation, meaning all of marketing, writing content, SEO, link building, uh, you know, collecting reviews, uh, setting up cold tracking, setting up analytics, running ads on Google and Bing, you know, the, the whole marketing bit. And I learned so much by doing it myself and so much by spending my own money mm -hmm. because there's no better training for a media buyer than spending your own money like when you're learning things like it teaches you so much so quickly like most of my guys that work with me right now at some point they tried to start a business so they were part of the business and they had to spend their own cash mm -hmm. as they were learning media buying and these are, these are my best best media buyers right now on my team uh, and and my best strategist to account managers because it like what you have in your muscle memory from an experience of spending your money and very often wasting your own money yeah. like you you treat clients as budgets like very differently uh -huh. than if you just you know finished a course or read a book so uh, you got skin in the game for sure for sure by the way skin in the game is one of my favorite books by uh uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb uh, should be required reading for every entrepreneur mm -hmm. or every marketer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I agree. So skin in the game is is a big deal. Like it, there's a feedback loops, right? Like we learn like everything. Like nature learns from feedback loops, mm -hmm. right? We are part of nature. We learn from this. That's what skin in the game is. Like it's it's an immediate feedback loop. Like you learn from your immediate experience, from the immediate feedback that, you know, like you get the result and it has to, you know, either hurt you or, or be a pleasant one. But, you know, if there's no feedback loop, there's no learning. That's exactly it. And, you know, one of the things that I tell people, Alex, when, when, uh, when I'm coaching and speaking is, you know, if you look in what, I mean, my whole metaphor is all about nature. And, um, so if you just watch, watch nature and learn from nature, it will teach you a lot. Um, but nature doesn't try nature just does. And then there's a feedback loop and it learns from itself. Right. And, and it's, it's right. Yeah. Special motion is there's watch nature and it will teach you a lot about business. It doesn't try, but it tests, but it, but it just dies. Yes, doesn't try. It does exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the difference between trying and testing, right? Yeah. Testing is part of doing. It's your purpose is to collect feedback, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to take you back just a little bit. There's, I mean, there's a ton to unpack and we could probably spend oodles of time here, but uh, I do want to be a good steward of time, but, um, I want to go way back to your beginnings as a Gosling in Russia. And I just, I just out of interest sake, um, would you mind telling me about a little, just a little bit about your family, about a little bit about your mom and dad and, and growing up in Russia? Because I think it's really fascinating your beginnings um, of starting there to where you ended up today. Uh, my mom was a teacher. They, they both retired right now. Uh, 
my mom was a teacher. My dad was uh, uh, a teacher as well, but also he ran kind of like a Boy Scout organization mm-hmm. where a bunch of us would, uh, as, as kids, he would, you know, there would be a bunch of kids who would take their backpacks and go on a, on a, on a trip somewhere. And most of the time would, would be in our region. So we would study local history, especially the history of World War II. There were some major battles fought uh, in that place. So my dad is a, a historian. Uh, he wrote several books on on the Kursk battle, the battle of Kursk of 1943. Um, and very often we would go to other places. So I traveled uh, much of former Soviet Union, especially the European part of it, um, like as, as part of this program, we went to a bunch of places in Belarus, Ukraine, uh, Georgia, Russia. Um, like it was uh, a lot of fun memories of, of that time, for sure. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. Where, where do you want to take this? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah no, that's fine. No, I just want to get a little bit of feedback because just the reason I'm asking the question is by listening to you talk, um, you just, you, you, you come across as you're a lifelong learner. Oh, uh, for sure. Everything that you've said is, has led me to believe that you're just, you're, 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 you're just constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly challenging, learning, and just, you just, it never stops. And that's what I was asking going back to about your parents. I mean, they were both teachers and your dad was a historian, Boy Scout. So the, obviously your humble beginnings have played a rather crucial role, um, in, in where you are today. And that's where I was taking that. Yeah. Very sure. So, sure. yeah, so it was interesting listening to you. That's why, that's why I was going there. So, um, so Alex, what's the most impactful thing that's happened to you that's ruffled your feathers? And that can be both either a positive situation or a negative situation. Um, you know, that really got you going, that been really forced you to change. It ruffled your feathers. And how did you respond to it? Well, maybe... So many, so many episodes, but the one that led, uh, that, that we can call the inception point of the current business that I'm in, the current agency, Clickmakers. And that would be, I, um, consulting gig I had with a company in the Silicon Valley. Uh, it was, uh, an open source startup with clients like Netflix and, uh, Cisco and like a bunch of big guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were a group of engineers with uh, the CEO responsible for sales and me responsible for all the marketing because I was the marketing department, not the head of the marketing department. I was the head and the body and everything. And <laughs> like I was, I was it because I was uh, in charge of Google ads, email marketing automations, well, the team would contribute a lot of blog content because it was super technical. Mm-hmm. Um, we were targeting DevOps, like and engineers, like it was engineers doing work for creating products for other engineers. Mm. Um, but as far as marketing, I was doing all of it. So the company was Series A funded, looking for Series B. Uh, in this process, they came across a buyer, a a $2 billion company called Brocade, they decided to buy them lock, stock, and barrel. Great event for everyone. Everyone gets a big bonus. I get fired. 
Um, and I did not see this coming, even though I should have. I mean, I'm a, I'm a contractor. I mean, they're not, they were not wrong in firing me because now the big company had a huge marketing department, department and a huge budget. Um, but this made me realize that sometimes the better job you do as a marketer, the sooner you help this company graduate to the next level and like you may no longer be there for that next chapter of, of the history. Like you, you may be done. Your job is to get them from this to there, right from here to there, but not beyond that, this point that that's a job we there for a specific, uh, period in their growth. Um, and, uh, that made me think that, you know, the consulting gigs, doing it on my own as, as much as I enjoyed it, that's probably not the best way to grow it into a business. And I actually need to build a team around me. And that's when I started focusing on that, finding people who are smarter than me, more capable than me. Um, and I have people like this in my life now, and we've been growing at the clip of a hundred percent annually, um, mm -hmm. revenue wise, but also headcount wise as a team. And, uh, we're a truly global team now. Um, I'm between Canada and Mexico, uh, but, uh, uh, we have a U.S. team who are spread across, I think all time zones We have people in California and yeah, LA and, uh, Seattle, uh, Minnesota, Florida, Colorado, and I hope I didn't forget anyone. Then we have a couple of guys in Europe, Italy, Romania, a bunch of guys in Ukraine, uh, one guy in Bahrain and one guy in South Korea currently. Wow. And then, and then we have a data team in, uh, India and, uh, my co-founder in New Zealand. So, so it's, uh, it makes it for a crazy daily schedule, but it's kind of working because, uh, it's been quite interesting. So, uh, basically I realized I need a bunch of clients that I can work with at any moment in time that, that so that one of them, we help one of them graduate, um, that, that becomes a celebration, not, uh, not a funeral, right? So it's kind of, you know, when I was listening to you talk about that, it's, it's sort of what it reminds me of, of, of working yourself out of a job. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. That, that happens a lot. So we have an entire slide in our official pitch deck, an entire slide of just logos of companies we helped graduate. Like when we got fired because we did a really good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you, you get to, so from my metaphor, and that's sort of the, along the same lines as uh, when I work with companies is, my goal is to kick them out of the nest, right? You, you, you know, you groom them, you help them, you help them grow, you, right. And you work together and then you kick them out of the nest and they get to fly on their own. Yeah. It is a, a good metaphor for would be, for that would be a, a medical professional, right? A true doctor would not want to keep seeing you year after year after year, right? You can't come to them with a specific problem. They fix this problem for you. You say goodbyes and. You know, until there's another problem, you don't see each other. Right. Right. So same idea. We help them. They, they come to us with a specific goal. They, they have series A, series B funding, and maybe they want to go public. Well, they're probably not going to be the agency to take them public in most cases. 
but we will get them to the next phase. Right. Yeah, I love that. Um, uh, and I love the metaphor too, saying, you know, yeah, a doctor doesn't want to have repeat patients, right? Then, you know, you want to be able to... A good doctor. A good doctor, mm-hmm. yes. Yes, no, exactly. And uh, yeah, you want to help them grow and, 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 and get them better. And then hopefully never if you never see them again, then that's success. That's right. Yeah, no, I get that. So, you know, you were talking a little bit about your team, Alex, and, and this goes leads me right to the next question. And, you know, the, the geese fly with 71% more efficiency when flying in a B formation than flying alone. So there's a reason behind why they do that. So what do you think is the secret to getting a team flying in that formation? We're trying to figure this out every day. Like I have probably some parts of the answer. I don't know if I have the answer, but uh, we have an amazing team and we have a remote team. And most of my guys have never met each other IRL, like in real life. Like we, some of us have met, but most of us have not, uh, especially since we've been growing so quickly. And especially since, you know, our team in Ukraine is not accessible right now because of the war. So, um, gosh, that, that's such a good question. I, we, we honestly, like this is, this is what I spend so much time thinking about how, how do we, how, how do we work as a team? How do we, uh, how do we fly in the, in the, in the V formation better, right? Right. And become more efficient, uh, communication. That's number one. Uh, when when you're not in the same physical space, it may be more difficult. But that when you have the right processes and the right people, like it doesn't work for everyone. Like there are people who need to be in the physical space with their team. Um, we just find the guys who are very happy to be working from wherever they are. You know the way I am working from wherever I am, uh, and. Uh, and connect with others over Zoom, on Slack. Like we practically live in Slack. Um, we have regular, like we set, set up group calls and group meetings and we uh, cross-train each other. So whenever someone discovers something new about Google Ads, we have regular meetings where this person can present the discoveries and teach the rest of the team about this new thing that they've, they've been uh, working on. Uh, so. Communication is number one. That's that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you find it out? You know, it's this is really interesting because I mean, the, with the whole COVID thing that happened, I mean, and I know that you, you know, obviously your business has stayed stayed virtual, but there's so many businesses that were, you know, that we were getting together, you know, in a room and we were collaborating and we're in person, and then there's, you know, of course, COVID separated all that, and then now they went into this whole aspect of doing things virtually. Um, and now, now we're getting to a time where we're starting to get back together again. What I'm seeing is that people want to be back together again. They want to be in the same room. They want to collaborate. Um, but what some, some people, some, some people. Well, that's where I'm not alone. That's what I was going next. And it's been really fascinating because it's really shone a light on this where the, you know, I'm mean, just, I'll keep this as simple as possible, but we had the people who are more introverted and say, you know what, I'm, I'm very happy to be working in my office at home and doing my job, and I'm very content. Um, there was people like myself um, who I tried working from home for about two months, and I, 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 I was not successful. 
at all. And it would really drove, it drove me crazy through that two-year period of time um, to the point I actually came in and I, I renovated my other office space and everything to create more space and whatnot to in order to actually fulfill myself. So there's the some people who, you know, who are totally content being out there on their own. Um, and there's some people, and I'll use myself as an example, is like, I need to get out and be with other people. I'm so extroverted that I just, being by myself, I need that outside source in order to feel like I'm actually uh, contributing. And I'm, you know, I just want to sort of share that with you, with you and see what, what your thoughts on that because of the fact of, of your industry. It's... Each human's psychology is different. Like each one of us wired slightly differently. And there are certain people who succeed, who can succeed and prefer to succeed in in an environment where they're not necessarily physically close to, you know, the rest of the team. They don't need to be mm-hmm. uh, interfacing with them constantly. And the virtual technologies are so good these days. We're meeting on Zoom right now. Like we've literally thousands of kilometers or miles, whatever yardstick views uh, from each other. But we're able to connect and converse and exchange ideas. It does not replace, you know, meeting a person and having, you know, breaking bread and having a coffee or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, th- there's there's still room for that. So. Um, it was a transition for me primarily because I'm the business development guy. Mm-hmm. I don't really run ads anymore. I don't run client accounts. I have people that are way more smart and way more capable than me on that job. Uh, so my my job is actually meeting people. So it was a bit of a transition for me, you know, to learn how to network and build relationships um, and, uh, you know, find new business by not being able to travel, not being able to meet people like one-on-one physically or in the seminar environment. So that was a bit of a transition. And uh, and I would say that we were able to change the way that we do things and, and succeed and grow. Um, but generally, like we just hire the people who prefer to work from home. Our best media buyers are women, they're young moms like with, with kids and they don't want to be away from their kids for too long. Right. So they have babysitters who come into their homes and, you know, so they, 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 they want this work and they want this fulfillment, but they don't want to be away from their child for like an entire day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that, that's actually us offering a virtual position is a huge benefit to them. They prefer to work this way. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, I was uh, trying to build a team at least in one geographic location with the idea of maybe opening an office at some point. Uh, but now, like the way things are in Ukraine, I'm realizing that probably was not the best decision. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it, uh, it puts a bunch of guys at the same time at risk. Um, yeah, it's you just find the people who are used to working remotely and they actually like it. Like I prefer this mode. Like I, I've had office jobs uh, and I've worked remotely and remote works for me better. Oh, yeah, that's it. I'm the exact opposite. So I, yep. you know, remote didn't work for me. So I'm the, I'm the opposite of you. And it, 
and again, there's no right and there's no wrong, but it, it you know it's so interesting now that that's just become that's become the norm. Where before, I think if we look back at three, four, five years ago, to say you know could we all could we all do remote work, and it would be it would been it would have been questionable, and but now it's just it's a complete reality. I tried to have an office early on in my consulting career. Uh, I've rented the room from uh, in, in my accountant's office. He had a spare room that he used as storage. Mm. So I actually rented a storage space, took out all his crap out of this room, and turned that room into my office, and I was paying him for the, the rent. Mm. Um, and then after about a year, I realized I'm not using this room all that much, and I don't do a whole lot here. Like my, because I'm out there talking to clients, meeting clients, you know, I'm on, on site with my clients. Right. Or, or it's just easy for me to do work from home. Why to have this commute? Um, well, like, I'm not using the office. So I gave, gave up having it and gave up and you know, saved some money. Uh, and then when I started building my team, I just, I guess I just attracted the type of people who prefer working from home anyway. Right. You replicated yourself. More or less, yeah. Yeah, yeah. More or less. Interesting. So uh, what are you doing right now, Alex, to better the pond? What are you doing to make the world a better place? What ripples are you creating, and how are you inspiring others to do the same? A big ripple that's going right now is uh, is the... Uh, advent of artificial intelligence and machine learning in our industry. Our industry is one of the first to be disrupted by uh, artificial intelligence. So we are at the cutting edge of it, like we're playing with all these technologies. We've been playing with some version of machine learning for the last, my gosh, when did Google start rolling out smart bidding? I think it was 2015, maybe earlier. Mm. So for Eight, maybe even 10 years we've been working with some version of machine learning uh, and we've seen it you know improve slowly and faster than just exponentially um, the way we run ads is very different from the way we used to run ads even a few years ago the last couple of years have been fundamental in shifting the foundational concepts of media buying online Nowadays, machine buy ads, humans run, machine runs, machines run ads, human runs, run the machines. Mm. And when you run a machine, like you become more of a, like an animal whisperer, like tamer. <laughs> uh, it's about training. Like it's like dog training. I, I, the metaphor uses dog training. Like we had a dog, um, she, she, she's gone now, um, but she was adopted. So she did not get proper training when she was a little pup. But she just couldn't, hold, couldn't help herself. When she saw a rug, she would pee on it. Mm. So we we'd, wouldn't have any rugs in the house, right? So when you have a new puppy in the house, how do you make this puppy not, how to train this puppy not to pee on the carpet, to pee outside? It's so much easier. The carpet is right here, right? Mm. <laughs> uh, and outside it's cold and wind and you know, who wants to go outside? Uh, so it takes training, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about feedback loops, about giving 
this doggy a treat when it's appropriate, not just because she peed somewhere, only when she peed where you want her to pee, right? Yeah. So Google and Facebook and all this, or Meta, uh, all these media networks, Pinterest, Twitter, you know, Tabula, they all run on the same principle on, on these feedback loops. They all expect a treat from you, a treat in the form of a conversion event or conversion pixel fire or a conversion API call that goes to the, the network. And what most of us marketers do, especially when it comes to lead generation campaigns where it's detached from revenue uh, on, a, on a timeline, we have, you have a lead today, this lead may, may, may not become revenue you know, months or even years uh, down the line. The problem is when a lead comes in, the leads are of different quality and crappy leads are easier to generate, they're easier to find. So when you fire conversion events on every lead that comes in, you're telling Google, hey, I don't care where you pee, pee in the carpet, that's fine. Good, good doggy, here's a treat. So what's Google going to do? It's going to find you more bad leads. It's going to keep peeing on the carpet. Right, so, so this is the message that I'm trying to um, deliver to the uh, to advertisers and media buyers to understand that we have to deal with Google like a feral animal that you need to train, that you need mm. to tame. That's fascinating. I've never, I've never really looked at it that way, the way that you just positioned that. And um, uh, just thinking about, yeah, the, the, the fact that you actually have to train it. So otherwise, yeah, you just keep getting the same behavior and you just keep getting... Yeah same behavior and you're not really getting it where but you think you are exactly like we're delegating a lot of decisions to the machine these days like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm no longer as a media buyer i'm no longer deciding how much to bid on this auction or that auction like mm -hmm. each ad impression is a real-time auction so someone is loading i don't know an article on forbes there's got to be a widget that displaying the ad so this widget like as the page is loading in someone's browser Right behind the scenes, there's an auction that happens instantly, milliseconds, literally milliseconds. The machines are bidding and deciding like who gets to display the ad here, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very complex process. Like a very simple thing for a user. Hey, I have a bunch of ads on this page. I'm reading the article, I'm seeing an ad. It's an auction. Like when you do a Google search, as a Google search page is loading, there's an auction being run. There's four spots at the top, you know, four spots at the bottom, whatever the layout of the page happens to be for your search. These are auctions. And we are not there, like as the page is loading, I'm not there pushing the buttons, you know, hey, bid more, bid less, you know. I'm, right. I'm not around. Like the machine has is there in those milliseconds, the machine has access to literally thousands of signals about who's watching this page. Like with the, the context, like is this person at home on his or her computer or is he standing in line at the 7-Eleven right now on their phone killing time, you know, paying for their gas? Mm. Very different context, right? Mm. Not only the demographics of who this person is, the, what kind of car they drive, how big is the mortgage in the house, if they have a house in the first place, like this is, a, this is all the signal, but also the contextual stuff, the behavioral stuff, mm -hmm. uh, intent, like what did they search prior to seeing this ad, 
like what what did they look at what did they um buy online or with what did they consider buying so these signals are factored into the decision of the value of the specific impression to you the advertiser and this decision is made by the machine not by human anymore mm -hmm. right so that's when the machine needs to be trained to be able to make better decisions on your behalf like you train the animal, then this animal has to perform when you are not around. Right. That's the trick. That's the trick. And that's the ripples that you're creating. That's right. That. So just a, a, a question on that. Um, where do you see this going in the next five to 10 years, Alex? Um, you know, you're seeing, you know, just like anything else, if you look at this, I'm, I'm very simply like, you know, you look at back in the day with you know, computers starting and, and, you know, you jump, you know, you remember having a Commodore 64 and we go, but all of a sudden it came to a point where it just went, it just, just went exponential because the growth went so fast. And do you kind of see that same curve happening now? And, and where do you, where do you see that going down the road? Um, Peter Thiel lamented just a few years ago that you know, we've been expecting from our innovators flying cars and uh, and things that, and I can't remember what else he mentioned, but we were expecting flying cars and what we got instead is 140 characters. He was taking a jab at Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was around 2012 or something like that when he said that. So basically there were a lot of people frustrated with uh, the, the sl with slow pace of progress. Uh, technology progress a decade ago, but I think we came out of the slump, and now it just feels like it's it's just going to take off, and uh, it's anyone's guess where we're going to end up in a few years. But uh, the change that is happening right now is dizzyingly fast and so profound. Um. I'm not going to make any prediction. I was just going to say that that world is going to be very different than just a few years. Mm -hmm. That that I dine, but oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, it's disrupting so many things. Uh, everything's going to change. Not all of it is bad. A lot of people um, are scared for their jobs. Uh, not incorrectly, in many cases. Like I think the AI is going to take over a lot of our jobs, but also the AI will enable a lot of new jobs that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. um, like if you look, like again, if you look at the history and go back, you know, 110 years, for example, 120, just even 100 years, like a lot of, like when, when farmers get got the tractor, right? That was, that was a game changer. That was a game changer, right? All of a sudden you can, you can, you can plow a much bigger field. You didn't. You didn't need, uh, you know, to walk behind horses or uh, cows or bulls uh, the entire day, right? Yeah. Um, but now you have to learn, you know, how to. Not only do you need to understand agriculture now, you still need to understand agriculture, right? But you also need to learn how to change oil and fix the gear gearbox and right transmission stuff. In um, how not to burn your clutch and like, like, and you know, and if you put some bad uh, 
uh, you know, fuel in, you know, how to, like, and, and uh, things go bad for you, like, how to fix the machine now. Like, like so, so that's what we had. Like, we're in our field, like, we've, we've been given tractor. All of a sudden, we're going to be able to do so much work so, so much faster. You know, mm-hmm. content creators, advertisers, like, a lot of, a lot of this change is actually welcome because a lot of, like I just said, like we don't, like they, there's so, there are not as many uh, knobs to twist or levers to jerk inside the Google Ads account anymore. Right. It's about setting up things the right way, creating those feedback loops for the machine to learn, and then stepping aside and letting the machine do its job, right? So. Um, uh, like back in the day, like our jobs were all about spreadsheets and, you know, micromanaging little campaigns, breaking a big campaign into smaller mm-hmm. pieces and managing each piece individually, like and automating a lot of things through some scripts and stuff. Like most of us, most of it is gone and whatever is not gone will be gone very soon. Uh, but now it's about strategy. You know, what are we trying to achieve as a business? Like, what, what is the business model here? How do we make a profit here? Uh, what level of profit is going to be optimal for growth? You know, how do we how do we achieve the right level of profit and still enable growth, but do not lose the short, right? Like, do you have the dichotomy there? Uh, what is the right offer? Who are we doing it for? What is this, the psychology of a customer that we uh, that 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 we're selling this product for? Right. Which problem are we solving for this? person like what age are we trying to scratch mm-hmm. like a lot of the things uh is where uh so th- this thing's more strategic things um w- will remain in our domain for the next little while mm-hmm. as far as i can see and the machines are going to be very helpful at figuring out research like we already use tools like chat gpt right now as a marketing team to facilitate our research like our research takes less time now Mm. Uh, because we can find all the uh, pain points, all the uh, uh, angles, not all of them, but a lot of these ideas that we didn't even think about. Now we can have the machine surface these problems and angles and ideas and, you know, aches and pains and and habits and uh, like all these things that we would normally spend a lot of time researching ourselves. You know, by interviewing people, by Googling things, by going on discussion forums and Facebook groups and uh, just to understand the language that people use. Now, a lot of this stuff can be done by, a lot of this research can be aggregated and done by the machine and just given to us um, uh, to make decisions about our campaigns. So, yeah, we, we're just becoming much more effective and efficient as as media buyers, as marketers, as business owners and advertisers, thanks to the machine learning uh, 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 proficiency and capabilities that uh, that have been uh, uh, given to us, like even even this little bit that we've been receiving so far, it's it's extremely fascinating. Like I think it's going to be a very different world in in a very short time. Like it's going to be very different. That's so a it's a bigger, faster tractor. It is. Yeah. Interesting. That's fascinating. So, so Alex, what is, um, what's one lesson that you've learned 
along your path that you would share to an entrepreneur starting today? Hire before you can afford it. And hire people who are smarter than you. Okay, if I were to change one thing about my path, I wouldn't change anything except one thing. I should have started hiring sooner. That's an interesting point. Hire before you can afford it. Um, you know, how do you think on a, like a young entrepreneur starting out with, you know, you have so much money, so much budget, you're starting out and saying, you can't afford this, but get people on you board. Can't, you can't afford not to. We just mm -hmm. can't afford not to. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that on the podcast yet. So that, that, that's, yeah. an, that's an actual first. So that is, that is really, that's, that's an incredible insight um, that you shared, and I appreciate that. Well, the uh, thing is, like, if you have people who are more experienced, who are smarter than you, mm -hmm. like, you will pay anyway. Like, figure right. out how you're going to pay for this person when you can't afford it. I, I don't know. Get a, get, get a second job, you know, wait tables at night, but find the money to hire someone. And you can use geographic arbitrage for most jobs these days. You can go overseas and hire someone. But, I mean, America has become much more affordable as well. Mm -hmm. Or Canada, right? You, you can find good talent. Um, even if you cannot hire a full person, like hire them for a few hours, you know, but hire other people to shorten the learning curve because you're going to pay for this anyway. Mm -hmm. You can pay a little bit now and learn fast and get the results faster because you're going to be benefiting from other people learning from their mistakes. Or you can make those mistakes by yourself and pay more. And, right. you know, it'll take longer. Pay me now or pay me later. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's great advice. That's great advice to a young entrepreneur. Uh, absolutely. I don't know. I want to thank you for that, Alex. So I have, I have one more question for you that uh, that is, is not on the list. And um, so if you were standing on a mountain and the whole world was intently listening to you, what would you say? Oh, gosh. That's a big one. I know that's a big one. Yep. Not 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 fair. <laughs> It'll put you on the spot. Uh the one thing I'll say is uh sit down with people and have a conversation. You know, like so many problems in the world can be solved when we just sit down and talk, like the way we do right now. Mm -hmm. When we get to know others. I mean, that's, I think that's the solution to pretty much every problem we experience right now as a civilization. Just sit down and talk, communicate. Sit down and talk. Yep. Have a conversation. There you go. There we have it. The wisdom from Alex the day. <laughs> so, Alex, I really, uh, I mean, all the way from Mexico, I know you're down there, which is, is, is fantastic. And I, and I really want to thank you for your time and sharing your stories and, and your experiences and your knowledge and obviously your wisdom. Um, if anyone wants to find you, Alex, where do they go? Clickmakers.com.
io it's not a conda io means click makers plural we are the makers of clicks um alex at clickmakers.com oh I don't, that io just made me mistake myself uh, <laughs> terrible um, and uh in, if anyone's looking for more help with uh data stuff marketing data integrations all this analytics uh complex data stuff uh, then uh, that would be measurebit.com or alexmeasurebit.com. Okay. I'll make sure that's in the show notes um, so, so that uh, that people can actually go there. And then measurebits.com? Measurebitis.com, yeah. Okay, so clickmakers.io. I, I was lucky to find a really good .com domain in that case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then what about on social media? Are you, are you active out there? Can we find you out there? Yeah. Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Facebook, those three and mostly. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. We had a great time today with Alex and this is Warren Barry and I'm locking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Warren. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time, what ripples will you create? Cheers. Cheers.